You, can you help me welcome one family, all of our campuses in Louisville, Garland, Dallas, Prosper, OCC Global Fam, big shout out to you. Thank you for joining us today. And we are so grateful that we have an opportunity to join together as one church in many different locations and jump into God's word today. Last week, I just got to tell you, last week we started a new series called Uncertainty. And it's all about uncertain times in our life. And our lead pastor, Pastor Conway, he began this series by talking about what the waiting room looks like. And last week you witnessed a waiting, a waiting room. It has transformed today into a different room. And the waiting room is all about when you're in transition, you don't know what to do, and you feel like you're just waiting. And all the things you need to do when you wait, you need to build a network, you need to game plan and build your scenarios of the options that could happen. You need to find a guide or someone to walk with you in the waiting room, or you also need to develop a personal advisory board to guide you through the waiting room. All of these things that we need in the waiting room, and if you haven't heard that yet, go to our app, go to YouTube, listen to the waiting room, and while he's not here today, can you just help me celebrate our pastor and how he started this message, this series last week. <laughs> pastor Conway led us into a series that's going to change how we face uncertain times, and today we're going to be looking at a whole different room. As you see right here, it's called the finishing room. <laughs> the waiting room to today, the finishing room. Sometimes with these uncertain situations, we get on the cusp of a transition and we're faced with the question of, should I stay or should I go? Do I need to run or do I need to tough it out? And I just want to ask you today, I'm just going to start this off. Uh, I just want to ask you, have you ever left somewhere too soon? <laughs> have you ever jacked up some transitions in your life? I just want to start off by telling you about one that I jacked up. You know, a little while back, I was uh, stepping into a new journey, a new job, and, and, and I felt called. I felt like God was telling me I needed to go do this, and I needed to jump out into this new venture and partner with someone, and we were going to make a difference. I mean, we were going to start something new. We were going to help people. It was going to be awesome. And I began this process to transition and to follow God, and I stepped into this, and I want to tell y'all, just it, it hadn't even been a year, and I was out on this new venture, <laughs> and less than a year, I started to say, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. You know what? This isn't, this drama I'm going through, right? this is not what I signed up for began to have verbal battles, began to feel like, you know what, uh, am I even trusted here? What's my purpose here? This thing that I was so sure that God wanted me to do, all of a sudden I'm wondering, why in the world am I here? And I had some bad days. And I began to talk to myself. I began to tell myself a story. You want to know what the story was? This ain't going how I expected, so this must not be God. You know what, I feel pain right now, so this must not have been what God wanted me to do. And you know what, how could I be in the middle of this situation? Surely God wouldn't want me to go through this. <laughs> and then what happened to me is I had a really bad day. One of the biggest mistakes I made was making a plan on a bad day. First of all, if you're in the middle of a transition, you never make a big decision on a bad day. I had a really bad day, and I said, you know what? That is it. 
I started working on my exit plan. Now, here were the problems with my plan. Number one, I was running from pain. You know what? It hurt, so I decided this must not be right. I've got to go. Number two, I was not self-aware in my situation. What I had begun to do was in my head formulate why this was everyone else's fault, but none of it was my fault. (laughs) None of it was my fault. I was running from pain, and and most of all, this was the biggest. This was... was, um, Genius move number one. I began to tell myself, this isn't what God wants for me. I began to rationalize and tell myself, you know what? God doesn't want me to do this. And I even called myself claiming that this was God calling me to leave this and step out on faith. I was running from pain. I wasn't self-aware. And guess what? I put God's name on it so that everything would be okay. And I said, you know what? I'm going to run. Maybe you choose to run sometimes. When I ran, I ran from something, not to something. And the pain was just beginning to start because I ran from something. I had no landing place when I said bye-bye. So what happened is, is I jumped into a situation where I had no landing place, and here I am, I got degree after degree after degree, and the best job I can find is stocking shelves at Home Depot at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to tell you why I chose Home Depot, because you can get benefits there as a part-time employee. (laughs) You laugh, but the reason that I needed benefits was because when I made this God-chosen decision, this big God move in my life. I made this move while my, <laughs> I can't even get it out, while my wife was pregnant with our first child. Here I am jumping, baby on the way, got nowhere to go, being led by pain and saying that this is God in the middle of it. And I just want to ask you today to examine the transitions in your life. And hopefully our goal today is we're going to learn something on how we can transition well. Maybe for you, the transition might be coming and you have nothing you can do about it. Your transition might be going from being a single adult to a married adult, and you need to learn how to make that transition. Or maybe your transition is going from having no kids to kids. Maybe your transition is going from having kids to being an empty nester. Maybe your transition is, should I be leaving this situation that I'm in, or should I stay? Maybe the transition is, should I make this big move, even though I might leave my church family and all my friends, should I go or should I stay? And I want to encourage you today, don't be like me, don't make a move just because of pain. Because I went through two years of what felt like wilderness, working jobs, doing things outside of what God had called me to do. And I want to jump into the word today and walk through a passage of somebody who was facing transition. There's two guys in this passage going through an upcoming transition. It's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the word today. We're going to start in verse 14, all right? We're going to read this together starting in verse 14. They got 12 up here because that's where I started last time. Now, in verses 12 and 13, you have this young guy named David. He's 16, 17 years old, and God's prophet says, I have anointed you to be the new king of Israel. The problem is, is he's not going to actually be the king until he's 30. So David is anointed king while there's still a king on the throne, and that king's name is Saul. That's what we're going to read together, y'all. Let's read together. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul 
and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Next verse. Saul's servants then said to him, behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Pause. Now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. That's a little interesting to me. An evil spirit from God. It doesn't say God is evil, but it says an evil spirit from God is terrorizing Saul, the existing king. And the only point I want you to see right there is the presence of evil does not mean the absence of God. Remember my story? The presence of a hard situation does not mean God has taken off. The presence of a hard situation means that God is still in control even when evil looks like it's knocking on your door. Presence of God is still there in the presence of evil. Verse 16, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. Next verse. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well, bring him to me. Check this out. So Saul's jacked up, he knows something's wrong, and he says, I need to find somebody to help. Evil spirit from the Lord. That's the third time we see this in this passage. Something's going on here, and he said, I need someone who can help me in this terrorizing situation. I need some help right now. And what he's saying is, is you know what? Many times what we would be doing in the middle of this situation is when Saul is saying, I need help, when he's saying, you know what, this isn't right, what we would be doing is we'd say, God, I need you to take Saul out of the picture. God, I need you to remove this situation. Guess what? When evil comes at work, when evil comes in your environment, when trouble comes, do you find yourself praying for that person to get out of there, praying for your escape, praying to get out of this situation? And what Saul's saying is, bring to me, David. What he's saying is, is if you're praying for your enemy, your adversary, your adversity to be removed, you might be praying against God's will in your life. There might just be a purpose for you to be in the pain that you're in right now. Let's keep seeing what happens here. Verse 18, then one of the young men said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. Next verse. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the flock. Go back to verse 18 real quick. Look at this. He's a skillful musician. He can play. He's a mighty man of valor. He's courageous. He's a warrior. He's strong. He's prudent in speech. He's good with administration. He's good looking. This dude is, is handsome too. And the Lord is with him. Anybody looking for a man? <laughs> this dude's got it all. Here's a picture of your gifts making room for you. Here's what we see here, a man who's got it all. What we don't see is David taking selfies saying, look at me, I'm valiant. You don't see him making his LinkedIn page saying, guess what, I can play, I'm courageous, I'm a warrior, nobody can take me down. Look, 
Here's the deal. His gift is making room for him. That means God is blessing him. Look at this. Other people are talking about how good he is. If you are that good, you don't need to promote yourself. Be like David right here. Let everybody else promote you if you are really that good. You don't need to toot your own horn. But even more importantly, if there had not been problems in the palace, there wouldn't have been an opportunity for David to use his gifts. And sometimes God allows problems in the palace so that his people can step in and do all he's called us to do. You may be seated. Amen. Now, what happens after this is he goes on and he serves faithfully. The Bible tells us that he becomes Saul's armor bearer, and Psalm says, you know what? Go back to your dad, send people back to Jesse, and tell them how much I like having you here. This is going from a part-time job to a full-time job. It's going from a temp position to a permanent position, saying, you know what? Because you've been so faithful, you're going to experience God's blessing in your life. Maybe, just maybe, in that transition, we don't need to run as fast as we run. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us today to experience your will from your word? Help us today so that we can see you clearly. And God, would you guide us when we get in the middle of a place where we say, should I stay or should I go? God, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So with David right here, there's four quick points. You see them in your notes today. There's four quick core concepts to do that we see in this passage that David's following. Number one, you're going to see them right here. Know that you are anointed for the job that you now hold. He had been anointed to be king, but guess what? His anointing was not waiting till he got to that position. Your next and my next starts now. My next starts now. My anointing is not on hold till I get to the palace. My anointing is right here for where I am right now. That's why David could make an impact right where he was. Guess what? If you feel like you're in a transition, you don't wait till the transition to start processing. Your anointing, your next starts right now, and how faithful you are now will determine how faithful you are if and when you make that transition. God's not so much concerned about our comfort in the pain. He's saying, you know what? I've anointed you, and I want you to rest right where I have you. Number two, don't expect to be appreciated. Too many of us want to have appreciation. David, out of anybody, David had already been anointed. He could have walked around with a badge that said, I'm going to be the next king. Instead, we see David was with the flock. He was with the sheep. He was playing a harp. He was a musician. David did all of these things faithfully without expecting appreciation from anyone. He didn't find his value in his environment. He didn't find his value in his workplace. He didn't find his value in his job title. He didn't find his value in his salary. He found his value in God's identity and promises for him. Where are you looking for value? Too often we make our profession a possession. We make our profession the badge of who we are. It defines us and it tells everyone who we are. And when we thirst from appreciation from others, we let others have power over us. You see, what happens is when we thirst for appreciation, others have the power to define who we are. Others have the power to influence our self-worth, children of God. 
And what happens is when we look for appreciation in all these places, we become people pleasers instead of God pleasers. And God says, you know what? Don't expect to be appreciated. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is in who God says you are. Number three, do the job well while remembering the vision. Right where you're at, right now, be faithful in how you do the job. Remember the vision that God has for you, but also remember the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment is saying, God, I'm okay where I'm at right now, and I also understand where you're taking me. I'm not going to lean one way, too heavy one way, or too heavy the other way, too focused on what's in the future and losing what's now, or too focused on now and missing that. Contentment says, God, I'm okay knowing where I'm at and being faithful and trusting that you have something greater for me. Do the job well right where you're at. Number four, (laughs) remember, where you are is not where you're going. Be peaceful while being progressive. Where you're at is not where you are going. So how do I deal with this like David did? Be faithful. Live a life filled with hope, with faith. And most of all, the Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. Here's the deal for David. The pursuit of God was bigger than the pursuit of what had been promised to him. He said, I'm going to pursue God more than I'm worried about the position, the title, or any of these things. I'm going to pursue God. And in Psalm 27, he said, he would have fainted had he not believed he would see the goodness of God. And if we're not careful, when we get in these situations, we bolt, we run, we get out. And here's, I want to read this to you. Second Corinthians, it's not up there. Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God will disrupt our comfort to confront our dysfunction. If we get too comfortable, God knows we will stay right where we are at. So God sometimes will send disruptions, pain, hard times into it to expose what we need to work on inside of ourselves. And instead of running, there might be something I need to fix. There was a preacher who said this in the 1800s. I love this. He said, um, he came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. God will disrupt my comfort to confront my dysfunction. What is my issue in the middle of this transition? What am I struggling with? Now, here's some principles when you find yourself in the finishing room. This is the finishing room right here. See, this was the waiting room. Uh, This was the waiting room last week. Now, this is the finishing room. This is God's finishing room. And the finishing room, now all of a sudden, instead of chairs to wait in, we got all these tools. I don't even know what this is, a fan right here. Praise the Lord. We got all kind of stuff, uh, a work light. We've got different things to sand things with. The finishing room is is in woodworking. The wood gets chopped. The wood gets carved. Pieces get put together. The last step is to come into the finishing room. This is where it is refined. This is where it is sanded down. This is where the last finishes of paint or lacquer or stain are put on it. This is where it begins the process of finishing well so they can go to the storeroom. And what God wants us to see are some principles for the finishing room if we think we're in a transition. Let's go through these principles. They're on your notes real quick. Number one, 
The way you leave says more about you than your situation. The way you leave says more about you than the situation you're in. You see, the way we leave says everything in the world about our character. And when you leave and when I leave somewhere, whether it's a job, a a friendship network, an association, when we leave, it says, and how we leave says more about us than the others. There's two things going on when an exit happens. You leaving an organization and an organization leaving you. You can control how you leave. You cannot control how they leave you. And you should not let how they leave you determine how you leave them. You should stand up and be a man or woman of God and say, I'm going to do this as though I'm doing it unto the Lord. We must do everything we can to focus on God in the transition, in the finish room. Number two. Number two, opportunities flow to those that grow. Did you see all the things David did? He had already been promised to be the king, but yet he could play. He was courageous. He was a warrior. He was a skillful speaker. He was handsome. I don't know how he, he just had that. But all them other things he worked on, and he was a man of God. Every time he worked on who he was, new opportunities came. He did not just sit still in the waiting room. He said, you know what? I'm going to be faithful. Then all of a sudden an opportunity came to go to the palace. Then when all of a sudden this guy named Goliath was coming against the, 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 the army of God, he had an opportunity because he had already killed lions and bears. Opportunities flow to those that grow. Number three, when you burn bridges, you are really the one that gets burned. Here's one quick principle. Before you leave anywhere, tell yourself, I'm going to leave as if I might be returning one day. That will just jack you up right there. Any transition, you might want to hold off on that that Facebook post about your old job. You might want to hold off on the things you said bad about them. Anywhere you're leaving, leave as if you might be coming back. Praise God. Number four, will you pass the test? There's four tests that will come to you. Number one, the ego test. Go back to the the test. Number one is the ego test. If you're in the middle of wondering, should I stay or should I go, you have to ask the ego test. And that is the test of me versus we. The test of me versus we. Guess what happens? When your ego wins, that means me wins. And when me wins, that means my focus gets very narrow because it's focused on myself. Here's how you know that you're failing the ego test when all you're doing, like I did, was tell stories and you look for information that supports the running that you want to do from the pain. You begin to tell yourself a narrative of why you should get out of this situation. And I just want you to know, you can tell yourself any story you want. You can find information on both sides. The ego test says, you know what, my ego, when it's winning, it doesn't want change. It doesn't like pain. It wants all the credit. My ego winning is a bad thing. Opposed to when we wins. That means, you know what, the ego test when we win says, I'm more concerned about those around me than I am myself. Let me read it to you this way. When me wins, I will sacrifice the company for my reputation. When we wins, I'll sacrifice my reputation for the good of the company. The ego test. Let me tell you real quickly about the ego test. Um, Some of y'all know from listening to morning prayer, Pastor Zarius mentioned that, 
that I've told the story quite a few times of my love and my desire to drive a Tesla. Praise God. Um, I don't want to get gas anymore. For years, four years ago, for two years I had waited because there was a Tesla Model 3 coming out. This was the smaller, more affordable Tesla. And it had a promised sticker price. And I waited for two years. I want that car at that price. And then about three months before it came out, the price went up $7,000. And I was like, hold up. It's been promised. I might get banned from, <laughs> from Elon Musk for this. It was promised at this price, but it just raised the price $7,000. And they put out a statement that said, well, we raised the price because of no gas. You're going to save that $7,000 extra over time. I said, but that, that, that doesn't make sense. You said it was this price, and you jacked it up. I'm not buying a Tesla. I'm going down the road. I'm going to get a Honda. I'm going to get a hybrid instead of a Tesla. I don't need, what if electricity goes out? I don't need that anyways. And I stomped off to the Honda dealership and I bought an Accord hybrid. And then I realized Tesla did not care that I didn't buy a Tesla. <laughs> and I made a decision out of a silly principle of wanting to be right. And now every time I drive by, I'm like, that could have been my car. <laughs> That's an example of when your ego wins. It was all about me. The second test is the health test. Now, don't just put health. That's the emotional health test. This one's big, y'all. The emotional health test. Now, there's, here's the categories of being emotionally healthy. There's three of them. Number one is being self-aware. The emotional health test means, am I self-aware? Can I take a deep look into who I am? Can I expose and look inside of all the areas? And self-aware is really like an oxymoron because you can't be fully self-aware. You have to open yourself up to community to be self-aware because you've got some blind spots you'll never see unless somebody else helps you. And you have to be open to seeing those. What you want to do is beware of the areas that you don't want to be self-aware about. What are the little areas tucked in the corner? What are the little ways that whatever's going on might be my fault? And beware of those areas and be self-aware and dive in, let people in so that you can see who you really are. Number two, honor others. Put others before yourself. Always look for the best of others. When you're talking to people, when you're in a transit, are you more concerned with how they view you or how you view them and how you can help them feel comfortable and connected in the situation? How can you honor others? How can you add value? How can you always make people better even on the way out? And the last one is completes their assignments. Even in the midst of pain, can you still complete the four-letter word, W-O-R-K? Or do you expect everything to just come to you? Too often we want to get out of something and we don't put into something. And God's saying, you know what, can you be faithful where you're at? And I just want y'all to know you've got to sow, you've got to cultivate, then you harvest. Can you be faithful where you're at? Now, full confession, ego test, emotional health test, I failed both of those in my transition. Those tests will jack you up, but there's two more. If you think you haven't failed those like me, here's two more. Number three is the character test. The character test just says, you know, character test says, I'm going to be better on the inside than the outside. I'm going to put more work on what goes on backstage than what goes on front stage. That just means I'm going to put more work into my real life than my social media life. And when I have good character, I'm not so concerned about everything else that's going on around me. 
I'm concerned with me and how I'm handling it. Have you ever in a transition tried to manipulate, maneuver, tried to work angles and systems and ways to get your way? Character test says, you know what? I'm going to focus on what I can focus on. And the last one is the grief test. The grief test. This is really the hardest test of all. Grief is one of the most painful things we can go through. It's also one of the most important things. It's one of the things that we enter into. It doesn't just happen to us. We have to say, I'm going to engage in a grieving process. And in, in, in the most, grieving is so hard to choose it. Here's what it looks like. Many of us are familiar with the most common form of grieving, and that is to have a funeral. A funeral is where you say goodbye and you start a new chapter. A funeral is where you remember who once was and the greatest things and say, we're going to continue on and honor them through our life. And sometimes when you and I go through transitions, we have to grieve some things because guess what? Our identity might change. Our relationships might change. Our rhythms might change. Everything going on in our life might change. And sometimes we have to have a grieving process to deal with the pain and deal with the hurt. And what we need in grieving is we need a couple of things. We need love and support, and we need structure. You need the family of God with you. You may need a counselor to grieve, and that is okay. But grieving, can you pass the grieving test? The ego, the health, the character, the grieving, which one is the hardest for you? The fifth point here is to finish well. Finish well. So when you ask yourself, should I stay or should I go, you, you're asking yourself, am I going to finish well? You see, when you're confronted with that situation of should I finish well, you're confronted with a decision. Uh, you have three choices. Uh, number one, I might need to stay. Number two, I might quit. And number three, I might finish. Y'all got shoes in your garage that you do work on that you don't wear in the house? Amen. So you, fit, you, you, you can either stay, you can quit, or you can finish. Quitting is easy. Finishing is hard. Quitting is when I succumb to the pain, the heartache, what I'm going through. Finishing says, you know what? I'm going to press through it. I know that there's a reason I'm in this and I want to get everything I'm supposed to get out of it and I'm going to wait for the situation where it's best, where when I make this transition, the organization, the company, the group will press on better than before and my legacy can be defined either by quitting or by leaving and finishing well. You see, what I got right here, praise God, you have an opportunity, this is how Quitting and finishing well goes bad. Ooh-wee. Oh, man. So I got some mud right here. And what happens is, um, as I take steps in the mud, I leave footprints all over the place. And when we choose to quit, when we choose not to leave well, what we're saying is, you know what? we're realizing, you might not even know it, that what you're doing is you're leaving some muddy footprints behind you when you walk out the door. 
And what happens is those muddy footprints might be how I talked about the people I worked with. It might be how I pointed blame at everyone else. And all of a sudden what we've done when we've left, we've left a wake of mud all over the floor. And we've said, I don't care about anyone else but me. I'm out of here. I don't care what's behind me. And what I want in any transition is I want to create a situation where I don't leave any muddy footprints. I want to create a situation where when I walk and I put my my good shoes back on, praise the Lord. I want to walk out with no muddy footprints behind me. I don't want anybody seeing the mess, the drama, any of that that I caused. You know what? When I walk out, I want it to be so good that they don't remember who I was because it keeps going on so well. Not because of the pain, but because of how the organization was set up in my transition. Now, y'all, I've jacked this up, but I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to be anointed before I'm yet appointed and follow God. So I want to give you five strategies. I'm gonna, I've already covered a lot of this, but I want to go through five strategies. I'm going to say it in a different way so that you have five clear strategies if you do think it's time for a transition. Number one, communicate your finish plan. You've all heard of a launch plan. You need a finish plan and not like mine, not I'm out of here, peace, it's been real, I'll see you later. Your finish plan needs to be thorough. Y'all ever heard of, you remember when you were in school, like in high school, um, you get to like the last month of your senior year and it gets real hard to stay focused. Praise the Lord. There's a term, I believe it's called senioritis. Praise God. It's actually in the dictionary. It's a colloquial name for the decreased motivation towards studies displayed by students who are nearing the end of their high school, college, or graduate careers. What we don't want is senioritis. When we get close to the end, we start tailing off. So we need an intentional plan of how I'm going to finish well. Number two, we need a game plan for our emotional health. How am I going to be self-aware? How am I going to honor others? How am I going to complete the assignments? And how am I going to be intentional to fight for my own emotional health? Take the high road. I've got to take the high road in every single situation. That means I'm going to treat others the way that I wish they could treat me. You might have two weeks, four weeks, six weeks on your transition. Here's what I know. You will never get that time back. If they go low, we go, we go high. Express gratitude. On the way out, you should be saying thank you more than goodbye. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You might need to call everyone you work with, everyone in your group, your association. And here's the deal with gratitude. It is most appreciated when it's less, least expected. Man, you write notes, text people, call people, say thank you so that when you go out, all they see is thank yous from you and grieve well. What is going to be your process? Who's going to be with you while you choose to grieve? If you've truly dug deep roots where you're at, if you've truly given your all wherever you're at, it will hurt to leave. You've got to figure out, how am I going to process this? Because unprocessed grief is a silent killer. If you don't process it, it will show up when you least expect it, and it will cause you pain. Now, before you go, see, the goal here is not to get you to stay indefinitely. 
The goal is to get you to properly process what God's doing in your life during this season. The goal, eventually, nobody stays anywhere forever. So we've got to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? So I'm going to give you four questions, and then I'm going to be out of here today. Um, Four questions to consider. They're on your notes. Four questions to consider before you leave. Number one, what specifically is frustrating you? If you don't know the problem that you're trying to solve, then guess what? That problem will follow you every single where you go. Is it that you don't feel appreciated? Is it that you don't feel valued? Is it that you feel like, you know what, my family can't take this? Is it that you feel you don't get enough feedback? Is it that you feel that you're better than the people above you? What is it specifically? Not all the fluff. What is frustrating you? In other words, if you could finish a sentence, you would say, I would stay if blank were better. What is the one thing that would cause you to stay if it were better? Number two, is this problem solvable? You see, a lot of times when we figure out what the problem is, we say, this is too big. I've got to get out of here. And we escape one courageous conversation where we begin to say with those we work with, our supervisor, you know what? I'm having a challenge. Is there a way this could be solvable? Is there some flexibility? Is there some room for change? Is there some way to change what this environment looks like? And just one conversation. Here's what you don't want to do. You never want to go to where you're leaving and tell them you're out and you've never given them a chance to fix anything. One of the hardest things in any situation is when someone says, peace, I'm out, and it blindsides everybody. Have a conversation. Number three, am I running from something or am I stepping into something? You already heard me tell my story. If you run from something, guess what? It's going to show up over and over again. The best way to leave is when you know where you're going to. The last one. (laughs) This is where it gets a little personal. Are you the reason you're unhappy at work? (laughs) Am I the reason? Is this really more my fault than I thought it was? Now, there's a lot of facets. This could be something not work-related. It could be family. It could be health. There could be things going on that make me not happy at work that I'm transferring on to work. Or it could be something at work. I'm going to tell you just what I see over and over again. A lot of times, it's me that's unhappy at work. Why? Because I fail at time management. And when I fail at time management, I feel like I've got too much to do and I'm not managing my time properly. So I say they're piling on when actually it was me. Number two, discipline. I don't have the discipline to follow or the guidelines or any of those things, so I run. Number three, conflict. I'm not good at dealing with conflict, so instead of addressing it, I run from it. Number four, self-leadership. Sometimes I just can't even lead myself. I've got to ask myself, am I the reason that I'm unhappy at work? Big thing we got to ask ourselves is, are we going through the process? Are we passing the test? Because here's what I know. When you choose to leave, you see the muddy footprints? You got all kind of stuff. Oh, praise the Lord. When you leave, it's like a leash on a dog. There's stuff following you when you leave. You see what this is? Messy exits. It follows me. What does this one say? I burnt bridges. All these things follow me. So check out what happens. They follow me. And I think that I've cut these things off. 
But these things follow me. They, they go in front of me and they go behind me. There's rooms that I might not get invited to because this stuff got to the room before I got to the room. There might be rooms that these things follow me and I might have a good situation, but because some reference calls were made, praise the Lord, these things followed me. And we think when I just quit, when I just leave, we think we cut those things off, but they follow us everywhere we go. So my only goal today is to encourage you. Maybe this isn't the time to go. This hard time, this evil, this challenge might be the time that God wants to work on you, or maybe this is the time to go. And I want to ask you to do two things before we leave today. I want to make this real. When you came in, you got two cards. I want to see if you can put your hand on these two cards right here. One says, I'm sorry. One says, I'm says thank you one says I'm sorry and one says thank you here's why this is important because I want you to identify on the I'm sorry card I want you to identify and write down a person a place a job an environment that you need to say you're sorry to I want to encourage you to actually write this letter but just put the name of it today now, some of you, you might be a supervisor, a CEO, and you might need to say thank you. There might be somebody who left well. And you need to say, you know what? I, I was in so much pain when you left, I couldn't realize that you were leaving well. I just want to thank you for honoring God in the way you left. Or if I'm sorry, God, I, I'm so sorry to whoever. I want to apologize for burning bridges. I want to apologize for not leaving in a God-honoring way. I want to apologize for leaving so quickly. I want to apologize for not giving you a chance to fix what was wrong. I want to apologize. I'm sorry. And I want to give you a chance today to deal with your sorries and your thank yous. So just as the music plays and as I close us, I want to ask you right now, to, who do you need to say sorry to? Who do you need to say thank you to? And how do you need to be reoriented in your time of transition. Let's pray together as we consider this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have such a specific word of what it could be like to be anointed and called by you and been given a promise and a purpose, but how we get off track because of pain. How we get off track because it wasn't what we thought it would be. How we get off track because of, God, we, we, we ran too quickly. God, would you give us power to stay? Would you give us power to persevere, to have endurance, to find what you would have for us in the middle of our situation, God? And even if it is time to transition, God, would you guide us on how to follow you and the fruit of your spirit in every single step we make? God, if we do it in the flesh, we know we're going to do it wrong. But if we do it in the spirit, we know that we can shine for you in a dark place. So God, would you help us? Would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all. Let's celebrate God for his word to our lives today.